Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, but you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you all about things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Audrey. Good morning to you all. And can I add my welcome to Jago's? My name is Felix. I'm a curate here at HDC. And um, it's a joy to be with you, not least because we're carrying on this new series in 1 John. And I'm really excited about this passage for us today. But, but before we look at that in more detail, um, let me pray and ask God for his help. We heard last Sunday that you, God, are the God of light. And so we pray that your light would shine brightly before us this morning. Would your word uh, now be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, when I was at senior school, I had a friend called Sam. Sam. Now, Sam and I became good friends because we both loved acting. We did a lot of acting in plays at school. And we also both attended the group for Christians um, at the school called the Christian Union. Sam was a huge encouragement to me at school. We'd pray together. We'd encourage each other. We'd look out for each other, especially when we were acting in the same plays. And I didn't have loads of Christian friends at school. And so I was very thankful for Sam. But it all went wrong in my fourth year. Uh, Sam went to a party. I wasn't at this party myself, but um, he went to this party and he uh, got horribly drunk and messed around with a girl. And um, when I found out about this a few days later, I texted him asking if he wanted to talk about it. No answer. Um, Sam didn't come to the Christian Union that week. In fact, Sam never came back to the Christian Union again. I uh, eventually managed to talk to him to ask him what was going on. And well, last Sunday, if you were here last Sunday, uh, we heard from chapter one in 1 John that the mark of a Christian is someone who doesn't live a perfect life, otherwise I'd be scuppered. No, the mark of a follower of Jesus 
is someone who seeks to sincerely live for Jesus and who keeps turning back to him when they mess up. Because Jesus can forgive whatever mess we make. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for all our sins. And I reminded my friend, Sam, about this. Jesus promises to forgive you, Sam. What you did, yes, it was a mess, but it's not too much of a mess for Jesus. He loves you, Sam. To which he replied, you don't get it, Felix. And then he said some words I'll never forget. He said, I don't believe any of it. I never did. It was all pretend. (laughs) Those were difficult words to hear, uh, as you can imagine. My friend, my ally had deserted me. And it left me wondering, you know, had I got it all wrong too? It's such a tragic story. And it's not far off the story of the Christians um, in uh, uh, this letter that was written to. They too had friends, allies, who had also departed from the faith and left the church. In verse 19, we're told, it's coming up from the screen, they, the deserters, went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. And of course, if you want to see examples of people kind of deserting the church, you don't have to look particularly far, do you? Uh, The Church of England has for a number of years seen huge numbers of people desert it. Even before the pandemic, uh, the Church of England had seen a decline in attendance of around 15 to 20% in the previous 10 years. It's been so dramatic that the president of the uh, National Secular Society uh, recently somewhat gleefully said, by every measure, membership figures for the Church of England are in freefall. And then, of course, closer to home, I suspect many of us will have stories of people we know who might maybe one day have sat before us here this morning. But now, maybe like Sam, say, I don't believe any of it. It's heart-wrenching, isn't it? It's soul-destroying. Maybe you too have found yourself asking, have I got it all wrong? And it's to that question John writes this letter. He says to these Christians, he says to us this morning, if you're trusting in Jesus, you haven't got it all wrong. To each of us, he says, there is instead an incredible promise to you and for me. Take a look at verse 25. And this is what he, Jesus, promised us, eternal life. And we're nearly there. We're nearly there. He tells us in verse 18, at the start of the passage, we're in the last hour, which is another way of him saying, if we're kind of on a train, we're heading into the last stop. Jesus' first coming around 2,000-ish years ago, that was the penultimate stop. We're nearly at the end destination. And so into this cauldron of kind of doubt and deserters, John, in this passage, metaphorically puts an arm around each of us And he basically gives us two encouragements as we wait for the train of life to pull in. They're easy to remember because they both start with R. R and R, receive and remain. Receive the truth, remain in Jesus. Receive the truth, remain in Jesus. So firstly, receive the truth. 
After Sam, my friend, told me he had deserted the faith or hadn't believed it in the first place, he went on to live a pretty wild life. And I'm sorry to say it was quite a sad life too. But what would have been even harder, I think, is if he had started his own group at school, our own Christian group, perhaps, a group where they distorted the truth about Jesus. And then imagine with me if Sam started trying to convince other people in the school to join his group. It would have been horrible. And that's kind of what's going on for the Christians in this letter. Not only have people left the church, these deserters are now trying to teach people that Jesus wasn't the Christ. Which is another way of saying they were claiming that Jesus wasn't the Son of God. John calls them, in verse 18, anti-Christs. It's quite an evocative name, isn't it? It kind of makes you think of Hollywood horror films. But it simply means someone who teaches a twisted truth about Jesus and his claims. Take a look at verse 22. John writes, Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the anti-Christ denying the Father and the Son. And we're told they're trying to lead people astray. It was a danger for uh, the church in John's time, but it is, of course, a danger for us today, for you and for me. You know, sometimes it's obvious. You know, so-called church leaders, teachers, who openly try and teach that Jesus isn't the Son of God. I recently took the funeral of my uncle. It wasn't the easiest services Um, to say the least. But amongst the sadness of my uncle dying, I could offer everyone there hope. Hope. Because Jesus, the Son of God, rose from the dead. And so if we put our trust in Jesus, we too can have life after death. Eternal life. And after the service, an older man who'd been in the service, um, he came up to me and he said, I found it very refreshing having a vicar who believes in the resurrection. <laughs> I, I, did, I honestly didn't know whether to like burst out laughing or burst out into tears, you know? My heart just sank. The resurrection is the ultimate proof that Jesus is the Son of God, not a mere human. But other than flat-out denials of the truth, I think maybe what we're increasingly seeing is something a little bit more subtle. A type of teaching where we're told we don't need to listen to Jesus when it comes to how we live for Jesus. These teachers might even claim that Jesus is the Son of God, but then ignore or even reject Jesus' instructions for his followers. But you see, when we play pick and mix with what Jesus says, we are in effect reducing Jesus from the status of the Son of God to the place of a mere puppet, where we're the ones pulling the strings. And John calls this type of teaching counterfeit, which I think is just another way of saying it's fake. It's not real. And the problem with counterfeit things is that they don't deliver, do they? Don't ultimately. I came across some light-hearted examples of this um, online. Uh, Here's um, a few of them coming up on the screen. So Adidas, their kind of um, campaign is nothing is impossible, whereas this fake says nothing is possible, which is uh, a bit of a fail from those who made this fake. Okay, how about the next one? 
phony. Okay, it's just said Sony. <laughs> that is a big mistake um, by these um, people who've made this counterfeit. How about the next one? Microsoft Bimbos um, instead of Windows. And then this final one is my favorite. Okay, there's an Apple store, and not only can you buy an iPhone, you can also buy a pizza. <laughs> so good. Now, of course, those are kind of trivial examples, aren't they? But on a more serious note, no one, no one here would, in a life or death emergency, would want to go to a fake counterfeit hospital. The stakes are just too high, right? And John's point in this passage is that the stakes are even higher than that. The stakes are eternal life. Which is why John keeps encouraging these Christians that what they have received is the real deal. They have received the truth. He says in verses 20 and 21, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. As for you, he says in verse 27, the anointing you received from him remains in you. There's no cheap ripoff going on here. In fact, John encourages them that they have received the truth by reminding them how they received the truth. It was that weird, strange phrase in that verse, an anointing from the Holy One, which makes you think, what is this anointing from the Holy One? Sometime next year, we'll soon have banknotes with King Charles on them. And like the notes we had before, we'll know whether they're the real deal, whether they're genuine, by holding them up to the light. And when we do, we'll see the king in the note. And John encourages the church that they've received the truth because like that note, they have a king in them. Not the king of the UK, nor just a picture of one, but the living spirit of the king of the whole universe, the son of God himself. You see, the anointing of the Holy One is the giving of the Holy Spirit. And so John is making the point that to have personally received the truth, believers would have been given the Holy Spirit because he, the Spirit, enables us to know the truth. Marianne May Thompson says this, as she's a theologian in America. She says, the anointing of which believers may be confident is the presence and guidance of the Spirit of truth, which is another name for the Holy Spirit. It's a bit like these glasses I've got on today. Now, normally I wear contact lenses because without help, I can't really see much in front of me. All of them are a complete blur. Um, it's getting worse every year. But once I have the glasses on, I can see. I can see you all. It's very nice. The Holy Spirit helps us by revealing to us the truth in front of us. I'll always remember um, another friend of mine. I didn't have loads of friends at school in the Christian Union, but I had another friend in the Christian Union uh, called Lois. And um, Lois uh, also came to the Christian Union and uh, she listened to numerous talks about Jesus, but she never believed for herself. She personally never received the truth. But then one week, something just kind of clicked for Lois. It wasn't a particularly special talk. It wasn't really that different a talk to what she'd heard before. But suddenly, the message of Jesus just became real for her. She received, personally, the truth. How? Because using John's language, she became anointed with the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit opened her eyes and her heart to the truth as it was being taught from the Bible. And there's the key, the Spirit and the Bible together, the Word. You can't know the truth unless you hear the truth. John says in verse 24, as for you, see what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. So what did they hear? Well, it's the truth about Jesus Christ being the Son of God and that truth being passed down to them, now written for us today in here, in this book. And it's so powerful when the Holy Spirit is at work, when the Bible, the Word, the truth is faithfully taught. The story goes that um, a bishop was going through security in an airport. And um, as he was going through security, the security guy there um, asked him what was in this bishop's uh, bag. And the bishop said, dynamite. So then the uh, security guy quickly opened the bag, perhaps foolishly, and inside was a bag full of Bibles. It's why the bishops, the leaders in the Church of England today, are asked when they become a bishop, will you teach the doctrine of Christ as the Church of England has received it? Will you refute error and will you hand on entire the faith that is entrusted to you? To which they have all replied, I will. It's why uh, the quote I shared with you from the director of the National Secular Society is wrong. Huge red lines through his quote. It's wrong. The membership figures for the Church of England are not in free fall by every measure. They're not. The data coming out of recent research is showing that churches and denominations in this country where the Bible, the truth, is faithfully taught are growing. For example, uh, the common trend amongst Church of England churches with 25 to 100 plus children in them are churches that teach the Bible. Jago recently shared with us a graph which shows that all the denominations in this country that are marked by their teaching from the Bible, those in red in the graph, they're the ones growing. It shouldn't surprise us because we're talking about the truth and the truth works. It's powerful. No wonder John wants to encourage these Christians that they have received the truth. There's no need to look elsewhere. Don't follow the Sams in this world. You're in the right place. You're on the right side of history. And of course, if you're listening to this today and you're a follower of the Son of God, then what an amazing encouragement for you and for me today. You're in the right place. You're on the right side of history. You've received the truth. And I realize there may be some in this room where that might, well, it might all feel a bit new to you, perhaps. It might be that as you've been hearing the truth about Jesus, maybe today or maybe over the last few weeks, the Holy Spirit has been prompting you, you know, kind of nudging you. Maybe you started getting glimpses through a new pair of glasses, as it were. Maybe this morning is the day that will change your life forever. Maybe today is the day when you, for the very first time, personally receive the truth. And so that promise of eternal life becomes yours. The former American pastor, uh, Tim Keller, he said this. He said, the way you know the anointing of the Holy Spirit is working on you 
is that you don't just say, oh, this is interesting. What the preacher said was interesting. You know the anointing of the Spirit is working when you find these truths disturb you. They grab hold of you. They start to work on you. You feel like something has just got hold of your center. You say, yes, this is true. This is the only hope. You feel the power of the truth. Is that how you feel now? Are you sensing if this is true, it changes the way everything in my life should operate? If you're sensing that, if you feel like something has grabbed grabbed hold of you, not just tickled your intellect, but grabbed your heart, the anointing of the Holy Spirit is working on you to show you the truth. Which leads us to the second and final encouragement. We've had received the truth. Now, secondly, and more briefly, remain in Jesus. You see, at the heart of the Christian faith is a relationship. A repeated word through this passage is this word, remain. Other translations have it as abide. It's kind of a word that means kind of um, setting up life together, making home together, as it were. It's relational, it's intimate, and it's a description of the relationship between Jesus and his people, between Jesus and you, if you're a follower of Jesus. And it's very much two ways, an intimate union and a kind of entwinement between God and us. In verse 24, it's the truth of Jesus by the Holy Spirit and word remaining in us. And then verse 24, it's us remaining in Jesus and God the Father. And then verse 27, it's the Holy Spirit remaining in us. And then later in verse 27, it's us remaining in Jesus. It's like an intimate dance, isn't it? Between two partners who are committed to each other, devoted to each other, wanting to set up life together. In other words, it's like marriage. Or I should say human marriage is a picture pointing to our relationship with God. Because whether we're married or not, each of us with God can have a deep, life-receiving, death-defeating, sin-forgiving, soul-bearing, heart-beating, blood-pumping, love-inducing, covenant-making, joy-giving, grace-abounding, mercy-astounding, hope-resounding, relationship that lasts, verse 25, forever. And so John encourages us to remain in Jesus as he remains in us. And just like in marriage, you promise yourselves to each other. You don't have eyes for others. So our relationship with Jesus is exclusive. There's no question of kind of trading Jesus in for a better model. False teaching that takes us away from Jesus and living all out for him, forget about it. It wouldn't be real anyway, would it? John calls that type of teaching counterfeit. It can't, it, it just can't deliver. No, we have the truth, the real deal. So as we close, John encourages the church, he encourages us, HTC, to remain in Jesus. Like any good relationship, that will mean investing our time and devotion towards him, spending time with others who might help us grow in our love for him, maybe connect groups, speaking to him, listening to him, maybe even making sacrifices for him because he loves you. He loves you so, so much. And because he's worth it, he is so worth it. 
Because whatever we do for him, he's done that already for us and more. And so today, I hope and pray that each of us might be encouraged in our receiving of the truth and in our remaining in Jesus. Let me pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the encouragement this morning that if we've put our trust in you, we've received the truth. Thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit opening our eyes and our hearts. So might he, the Spirit, be our help now as we continue to respond in this service and as we seek to remain in you today and forevermore. Amen.